Well, dear friends, we're looking at Luke chapter 11. We're walking through verses 1 through 4 today. This is our third sermon that we've had on the Lord's Prayer here in Luke 11, uh, 1 through 4. Let's go ahead and read this one more time, and we will walk through the second petition of this prayer, beginning in verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when He had finished, one of the disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. We began this study with looking at the salutation of this prayer that God is addressed as Father we see the, the eminence of God even in this salutation that they would call God their Father. It wasn't merely looking as God as being transcendent. So many times within the Old Testament, we have the wording of God being transcendent, God being far off, God being holy, God being separate. All of that is still contained here. But in Christ Jesus, you have been adopted into the family of God. You are one of God's children, and there is a relationship that is there that is distinct, that is very specific, that is very important, and you can go to God and call Him Father. Abba, Father, is even the term that you would find in the Aramaic. And there is an imminence that is there. There is a closeness that is there, and that closeness must be there in our prayers. It must be remembered when we're going to God, that we are going to a God that loves us and cares for us. We are going to a God that has shown His love to us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died, died on behalf of those who were undeserving. We were not brought into His family because of our worth, our value, our significance. If that were the case, we would not be in the family of God. It is granted to us by grace and through faith because of the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we looked at the first petition, hallowed be your name. And we see here in that declaration this transcendence of God, this far-offness of God, this, this distinctiveness of God, the way in which God is to be revered and respected in ways in which you do not revere and respect anyone else. He is distinct. There is a creator-creature distinction. Psalm 50 talks about those who thought God was just like them, those who worshiped God as though He needed something. And He told them, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. People serve God in a way, and they think that they're giving God something, as though God is now gaining something that He was lacking previously. It is not so with God. That is not the reality. A God like that would not be God. A God that was lacking in some way, a God that you were enabling, that you were granting something to that He had not previously, would not actually be a God. He would not be worthy of your worship. There's something lacking in Him. No, He is worshiped and respected because He is God. He is distinct and He is separate. And we saw this 
even in the architecture of the tabernacle, and we saw even in the architecture of the tabernacle, the transcendence of God, His distinctiveness, His separateness. You saw that in the most holy place and the rules that they had to follow, and you saw even His eminence there in that He was dwelling there amongst the people, and of course, pointing to Christ, that great tabernacling that we have. The, The Lord Jesus Christ came down and dwelt among us. He clothed Himself in flesh that we could have life that we could be free and free indeed. Today, we will be considering the second petition within this prayer. The second petition, which is your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. And there's two questions I want us to answer. There's two areas that we're going to consider here. The first question is, what is the kingdom of God? What, what even is this? We're, we're praying for His kingdom to come, but, but what do we mean? What is His kingdom? What would we liken it to? What is it similar to? And secondly, what are we praying when we pray your kingdom come? What exactly are we praying to happen? What is it that we're desiring to happen? This is going to be a, a brief overview of this subject. There's much that could be said. This could turn into a very dense theological lecture, and it's not going to turn into a dense theological lecture. This is a brief overview, and it will be a flyover of the concept or the topic of, of, of two-kingdom theology, how it is that we are to understand our place in the world here as Christians and the work of God within the world. So, let's begin with that first question within this prayer. What, what is the kingdom of God? Why would we need to pray for the kingdom of God? Why would we need to pray for the expanding rule of God? Is God's rule lacking in some way? Is there something insufficient in God's sovereignty, in in His omnipotence? Is there something that is lacking in some way? Well, absolutely not. But to ask the question, does God already rule over everything? Well, you could say yes, and you could say no, depending on how we're looking at that particular question. And for some of you, it may be a little shocking to say, what do you, how can you say the Lord is not ruling over everything? Well, this is a theological distinction, and so we have truths that are conveyed within the Scripture, and we have to work through these truths. We have to consider these truths. Psalm 97 Let's look at verses 1 through 5 of Psalm 97. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad. Cloud and thick darkness are all around Him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of His throne. Fire goes before Him and burns up His adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. And then we see the psalmist say there in verse 9, For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. We see that psalmist declare there, as we do in other psalms in this section of the Psalter, declaring that God rules over all of the earth. The earth is within His kingdom. Yes, it is. Um, but consider another example here. Consider this in understanding how it is God is, is ruling sovereignly in all ways, but then in other ways the kingdom is expanding. His rule is beginning to grow, or there is a 
special way. You could even say it this way. There's a way in which God is ruling everywhere in all ways, and we would call that in providence. He's providentially ruling everywhere in all ways. He has decreed, as we say, whatsoever shall come to pass. But there is a special way that He is ruling in other areas. There is a spiritual way that He is ruling in other areas that is distinct from the way in which He is ruling providentially over all things everywhere. Consider this. Let's use Israel as an example of this idea of God ruling everywhere, but then um, dwelling in a specific place in a particular way. Consider Exodus 19 and verses 5 and 6. It says, Now therefore, if if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And so you have God ruling over the entire earth. He's sovereign over the entire earth, but he's ruling and working in a special way at this time amongst the people of Israel. He's dwelling amongst them in a particular way to accomplish a particular purpose. Israel was a special possession of the Lord um, in a way that the rest of the world was not. This was a special possession of the Lord in a way in which all the other nations in the world were not. So you have God's sovereign rule over the entire world, but yet His special rule amongst this people at this time with Israel. And Israel, of course, is a foreshadowing, all right? It's pointing forward to what the Lord would accomplish and will accomplish within the church. We have to see that distinction there. Understand this reality that when we talk about the kingdom of God and the expanding of the kingdom of God, this is an area where people have, have, have stepped into ditches on both sides of the road. This is not a creation of a nation-state system. We're not waiting for the Lord to send us the right president of the United States that we are going to vote for, and he's going to bring about this perfect nation state that's going to establish his rule on the earth. We're not praying that that would happen. We, we do pray that we do pray in many ways for the governing authorities, but we're not, we're not, we're not praying that we're not hoping that our hope is not in the creation of this nation state. Rather, this is, this is a pitfall for many in our times, especially with the idea of of democratic rule. I am one that appreciates our Constitution. I appreciate living in a representative republic, but merely spreading so-called majority rule or democracy, as some would say, amongst the world is not going to be the be-all and end-all. If you have a people, understand, that are ungodly, if you have a people that are not understanding God's law properly, merely giving people the right to vote is going to lead people to trust in their own hearts, to trust in their own desires. I'm not going to give a list of this, but there are many points in in history where we could point out where democratic rule was taken over, and it was disastrous for the church. It was disastrous for the people of God that were living in those areas. Democracy, as it's been said by others, 
can be five wolves and two sheep voting on what they're going to have for dinner. I want you to consider this even in light of some some very sad realities that have happened recently. There was a vote recently in the state of Ohio, and they voted to make abortion a right within that state, overthrowing many of the, the, the rulings that were there. We have that reality happening right now. It's very sad. We, we, have, we have those that are existing in certain so-called conservative states that the majority do not want there to be restrictions on taking the life of the preborn, and we have conservative leaders that have pushed to enact certain realities, but the tide is moving the other direction. That the goal here is not just merely establishing a, or the goal is not establishing a a, a government in some way. Systems reality are not going to stand. Even this reality, this idea that we'll just spread democracy. So many times that's been said in my lifetime over the past few decades, we'll just spread democracy around, and you have a people that are unruly, a people that will not be ruled by the law of God, and they begin to create a system in which there is anarchy. And the consequence of that will be a tyrant. It will be an iron fist that rules over them. They will say, well, at least under this iron fist, at least under this tyranny, we have running water, we have electricity. What, what about laws? Would we say that passing good laws is the advancement of the kingdom of God? In a short answer, the answer would be no. Merely passing laws is not the expanding of the kingdom of God. When we're talking about the kingdom of God here and it's expanding, we're talking about God's work within the heart of His people, in the lives of His people. Should we pass good laws? Should, should nation states pass laws? Should they pass laws that are consistent with God's law? Well, the answer is yes. Absolutely, they should. We have God making a covenant with the people of the whole world in, in the book of Genesis. And He gives this command shortly after the flood. He says this in Genesis 9, beginning in verse 5, "'And for your lifeblood I will require reckoning. Every beast I will require it, and from man, from his fellow man, and I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by that man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And just prior to that, God made a covenant with all of humanity that he, he would not flood the world in the way in which he had previously. Governing authorities are called to pass godly laws because that is what is best. That is what we are called to do. God's law declares that we would do that. We have this instruction in Romans 13, beginning in verse 1. It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those, exist, those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on, wrongdoer, on, a, on the wrongdoer. 
Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. The governing authority should pass laws that are consistent with God's law because that's God's law. That is what is best. That is the best way in which we can live. That is their role is to protect life and to, to care for those. The expanding of the kingdom of God in a particular area in, in, amongst a given people it is going to have a positive effect for Christians and non-Christians. The growth of a church in a particular area is going to have a curb towards sin in that area. It's going to be a light and darkness. It is going to be a good thing in that area. It's going to be very positive for those people. Certain nation states have persecuted the church such that they have diminished the light or they have shut the light out. There are countries that, that um, remove the church almost from their area, and they feel we have freedom now. We've removed this religion from us. But it is but the judgment of God upon them, for they are removing the very hope that God has given whereby they can have life. They are removing the very hope whereby there can be a flourishing amongst that people. The growth of the kingdom of God, the expanding of a kingdom of God amongst the people, the planting of churches, the growth of solid, consistent Christianity in a culture is going to result in better laws being passed. Um, it's likely let's be honest, it's going to require that even less laws be passed. A people that are unruly, a people that are living contrary to God's law are going to be ruled by more and more laws. There's going to be more and more areas of inconsistency, more and more areas of chaos. But the kingdom of God is not about these governing authorities. God uses governing authorities providentially, but they're not necessary for the expanding of the kingdom of God. They, they aren't required. It's not required that the church control the powers of authority in a particular area in order for the church to grow and to flourish. I could show you the first three centuries of the church, and they did not control these areas. So you might say, so pastor, you're saying it doesn't matter what happens in governing authorities? We shouldn't care who is ruling over us? We shouldn't care about how we are ruled? Are you saying we shouldn't be involved in politics in any way? I didn't say that. And some of you may hear that. Some of you will, will hear that, but that's not what I'm saying. We are to pray for those who are in authority. As God gives you opportunity to, to serve in those capacities, as those who are in a representative republic, to participate as a good steward of what God's given you in this area, just as you would steward your time, your money, and your influence? Why would you not be a good steward of the influence that you have in a representative republic? But we are to pray. We do this in a regular basis. We do this in a systematic way. We are to pray for those who rule over us, that we can live peaceably, that the church could flourish within that culture, under that government, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, 
for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. That is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. We are praying for those who are in authority over us, that the church could exist and live peaceably in the land. And remembering, even in this verse, it says, God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And understanding within that context, it's pointing back at the different kinds of people. God is not just calling people from the lower end of the society. God is calling people from different levels of the society. He brings people to faith in Christ Jesus, people who are judges, people who are in the Senate, people that are serving in uh, an executive function. He calls people to Himself. It is so fascinating to see uh, the endings of, of some of Paul's letters, and you will see him greeting people, him, him acknowledging people that are in that church, and you see him even acknowledging people that are in the house of Caesar. That is the extent to which the gospel went. They were not going out seeking to take a hold of all these positions, but the Lord was calling people to Himself that were in these positions. And we've seen that in other countries. There have been countries that are godless, that stand under naturalistic atheism, that are communistic countries, and the Lord is calling people to faith in Christ Jesus that are amongst these governing authorities that are serving in these capacities. The Lord is calling all kinds of people, and He calls leaders, and He's calling them to Himself, and we should be praying for them. It is legitimate and good for Christians to be serving in these positions. It is a, a good thing. If, if that were the case, if Christians couldn't serve in the government, if Christians weren't allowed to serve in any kind of secular authority, they would have to step down as soon as they converted. Well, that would not be a good thing. It is good to have Christians in these positions. It is good to have Christians serving in this area. But we must also recognize that this was not in any way a, a, a chief goal of Jesus and the apostles. We don't see them in any way seeking to take over the governing authorities. We don't see them putting all of their focus in the church in changing the governing authorities. You see them working through the means that God has given, through the proclamation of the gospel, the means that God has given, the declaration of the cross and what Christ has accomplished. When Jesus was standing before the government, He tells them, my kingdom is not of this world. After His arrest, He is told that. He says that when, when they come into when he come, they come in to arrest him, his disciples begin to fight. Peter famously pulls out his sword and begins to defend him, and Jesus discourages him from doing that. He commands him not to do that. The kingdom of God is not expanded through temporal warfare. That's not the means that is expanded. There may be providential things that happen that are a blessing to the church as things happen, as things happen in this other kingdom, but that is not how the kingdom of God is being spread. Jesus was arrested. And so, does that mean we can't have weapons? Am I saying it's always inappropriate to use weapons or to fight? Not at all. There are legitimate means for fighting. There are legitimate means for protection. The sixth commandment requires that we protect life. It sometimes requires the taking of a life whereby a life can be 
protected. Jesus, in sending out his disciples at one point, told them if they didn't have a sword, they should sell their cloak and purchase a sword because there are reasons to protect yourself. But that wasn't the means whereby they were expanding the kingdom. The kingdom was being expanded through the proclamation of the gospel, through the working of these ordinary means of grace that God was using. Philip Ryken says this. He says, the kingdom of God is not a nation state, a system of government, or a geographical region on a political map. Very simply, God's kingdom is God's rule. It is the sovereign administration of His authority over creation, over His enemies, over the people who honor Him as their king. The second petition is a prayer for the glory of God. To pray for the kingdom is to pray for God's glorious rule to bring all things under His control. We pray this first of all for ourselves, asking God to reign in our hearts by faith. We ask God to help us to do things His way, not our way. We want to obey His royal commands and serve His royal will. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is coming in ways um, that, that cannot be observed. Uh, Luke 17, beginning in verse 20, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. Remember, that was a big concern for them. They saw the kingdom of God coming as, as the Lord coming in and removing Roman rule from them, the Lord coming in and establishing new leadership over Israel that would remove the tyranny of Rome over them. They saw this merely as temporal But Jesus says this when the Pharisees asked him. He answered, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. You can also understand that to be the kingdom of God is is within you. For those in whom God is ruling within their hearts, the kingdom of God is within them. So when is this kingdom? When is this kingdom? The kingdom has come. The kingdom is here and the kingdom will come. The kingdom has come, the kingdom is here, and the kingdom will come. That is how we are to understand this prayer that we have. Stein says this, he says, God's kingdom is both present and future. It already has been realized in the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, but it awaits final consummation when Jesus returns. In the verse, good news of the kingdom of God refers to the present realized manifestation. It is something that has come. Luke 11 and verse 20, but if, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus is talking about His ministry at this time. Jesus coming into the world, the defeat of Satan's minions at this time, and the removal of these demons from people, the, the ruling of God's kingdom there. Secondly, we see the kingdom here and Now, Revelation 1, 5, and 7, to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood and made us a kingdom of priests, to to His God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so, amen. And the kingdom of God will come. There's many verses that we could use to emphasize each of these, but we're doing a flyover here. 8.23, Romans 8.23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our 
bodies, this looking forward to what the Lord is going to do. The kingdom of God is the spiritual rule in the hearts of His people as He is working and bringing people to Himself. Secondly, we ask the question, what are we praying for when we say, Your kingdom come? What are we praying for when we say, Your kingdom come? Let's look at the catechism question on this topic. What do we pray for in the second petition? It's in the Baptist catechism. In the second petition, which is, Thy kingdom come, we pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed, that the kingdom of grace may be advanced, ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it, and that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. And what do we mean when we say Satan's kingdom? It's a fascinating thing to say. Satan has a kingdom. How are we to understand such an idea? The Lord is ruler over all. We have already read Psalm 96. It declares that the Lord is ruling over the creation. The earth is but His, His footstool. How do we understand Satan's kingdom? You may have talked with a Jehovah's Witness before, and they have a very interesting position on this, and sadly, certain Christians have begun to um, take in some of these ideas from them. But Jehovah's Witness will say, well, Satan is ruler over all of the earth, that God is not actually the king of the earth. The Lord is not sovereign over this, but rather it's been given over to Satan, and He is ruling over this, and they will use as an example when Satan is tempting Jesus that He offered Him positions, that He offered Him kingdoms, that He offered Him places in the world, and they would say, well, how could He offer that to them, to Him if He did not, in fact, own that Himself? How do we understand this idea of Satan's kingdom? Consider Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. Paul describes Satan as the God of this world. That's an interesting statement because we already read that the Lord is sovereign over the world, that the Lord is king of the earth. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In, that, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul's describing Satan as being the God of this world. Well, we must remember this as well. Whatever rule Satan has been allowed to, to have, whatever um, reign he may have in any area that he has, it is but what the Lord has allowed him to have. You must remember in the book of Job, it was Satan that went to the Lord to ask permission to do what he wanted to do. The Lord had to give him such permission. Even Satan is God's Satan, as Martin Luther says. Consider Proverbs 21 and 1, the Lord's, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. He is sovereign over all areas. When we understand this idea of, of Satan being the God of this world, or we see this especially unpacked in the book of, of 1 John, we're not understanding the world in that time to be a, a temporal area. We're not understanding the world to be a, a particular place, but we're understanding this as, as a worldliness, that which is 
contrary to godliness, that to turn away from what is right is to submit yourself and to align yourself with Satan and to be under him and to be in an alliance against the Lord. And so we are praying at this time that the Lord's, that the kingdom of God would come. We're praying that the reign of Christ would rule, that He would expand His kingdom. Let's think of some ways that we apply this. Let's think of some ways in which we, we understand this in practical ways to be true, in ways it applies very directly to how we live and exist in this world. I would say this, number one, the praying for the kingdom of God to come is a prayer for the advancement of the work of God in the church through evangelism and church planting. To pray for the kingdom of God to come, to say, thy kingdom come, is to pray for the advancement of that kingdom through the means that God has given, which is the proclamation of the gospel, to raising sinners to life, to faith and repentance in Christ Jesus, to the establishment and, and planting of churches that these people can be, can be um, discipled, that they can be sanctified and grown through these ordinary means of grace. Praying even, I would say, that the Lord would raise up leaders to serve in this work, to serve in this capacity. Matthew 9, 37 and 38, Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. This is a praying that the Lord would be sending people out, that the Lord would be accomplishing His good purpose through these means that He has established and our support of those means and those being the primary means that we're working in to, to grow God's church, to expand God's kingdom through these means that He has given to us. I think secondly, we would say that the kingdom, in praying your kingdom come, we are praying that the kingdom would be advancing within our hearts individually, that within us that, that the Lord would be, would be changing us as we already mentioned that Jesus said in Luke 17, 20 and 21, when the Pharisees asked him about the kingdom of God and when it would come, they're basically asking, when are the Romans going to be overruled? When is this tyranny going to end? When is this Davidic kingdom going to be set up here so that we have a king that is defeating all of these worldly enemies that are terrorizing us? And he says to them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. That we would be praying that the Lord would be working within our hearts, working within our lives, changing us, that we would be participating in the ordinary means that God has given to us that even in our desires to make changes within our culture, our desires to affect those that are around us, even as we see the, the tyranny that is around us, the great evil that is around us, it broke my heart to see the vote that happened in Ohio. That, it's a, that it was a, a terrible vote, but that's where people's hearts have been. People in this culture have been so indoctrinated and trained to support this idea of the destruction of the preborn. It is, it is heartbreaking. It, it, is, it is painful to see such things. 
But we must be a people also that as we despise what we see around us, as we despise the tyranny and evil around us, that our focus must be first and foremost upon us. Dear friends, you desire to change the world. You desire to affect the governing structures in this world. Are you one who is there for prayer time? Are you one who is there for the opportunities that God gives you to grow in grace, to grow in a greater knowledge of His truth? We have at this time, and I would say especially online, especially on certain social mediums, many that are very angry, that are very frustrated over the direction that that things are going within this country, things that are happening within the world, and there is great effort that is used in people battling one with another and keyboard, keyboard warriors going from one direction to the other on these mediums. And the danger is that so many that are engaging in these ways, and it is legitimate to interact with people online, but so many that are engaging in these ways are almost engaging in a way in which they're like those that are without hope. Their hope is here in the now. And we must be those in Christ Jesus that are content to serve Christ regardless of the culture around us, regardless of what political influence we have, regardless of what, what, what blessings we have even in this world. Jesus must be enough. It is, it is like this, I would say, just as we are instructed in the Scriptures not to be like those who, who grieve without hope, that even in, in a loss, even in a great pain, even, even in a great loss that we may have, we, we grieve, but we grieve as those that have hope, even in our engagements within our culture, even in our political engagements. We must engage as a people who have hope. We engage in these ways because they matter. We engage in these ways because people's lives are affected. We engage in these ways because it is important, but we don't engage in these ways as though this is our only hope, as though if the person we want to get into a particular office isn't there, that we are in some way going to be lost as a Christian, or that God's work is not going to be done. Christ is sovereign. All things are going to be brought under His feet. We must not be a people that our hope is just here and now, merely in the here and the now. Thirdly, I would say this in our prayer, Thy kingdom come. We are praying that we would hasten the day of our Lord's return, that we would be looking forward to that day, that we would be greatly anticipating that day, that the things of this earth would not captivate our heartstrings and our minds. They would not be captivating our attentions and distract us from what the Lord is doing. We would hasten that day. 2 Peter 3, 11-13, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Oh, dear friends, do you, do you long for such a day? Does such a day captivate your attention? 
Does such a day inform your life even as you are living now? Or is your mind focused upon the temporal, the here and the now? I want to remind you of the Sermon on the Mount that that Jesus makes this statement in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 25. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will be put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they this oftentimes isn't, isn't, isn't caught. Many people don't notice the, the placement of this therefore. And you know anytime you have a therefore, you must consider what it is there for. If the section just prior to this declaration, not to be anxious about your life or what you will eat or what you will drink, is the section where Jesus talks about where your treasure is. Where your treasure is. If you look back at verse 19 of Matthew 6, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where the thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that is the instruction that is given prior to his statement do not be anxious about your life. Dear friends, if your heart is tied to the things of this world, if your heart is tied to, to the many changes within the culture, we must grieve. We must grieve for the evil in this culture. We must grieve for the tyranny that exists around us. We, we must grieve even globally for the things that happen, but we are not grieving for it as a people who don't have hope we're not grieving for this as a people who, if this doesn't go the way we would desire it to go, that we are without hope because we understand that God is ruling providentially as well, and God is accomplishing His good purpose even through the evil actions of those around. We saw the Lord accomplish His good purpose in the life of Joseph when he was sold into slavery, that the very people that sold him into slavery were saved by the fact that Joseph interpreted the dream of Pharaoh, and they were fed by the food that Pharaoh saved over those years because of the instruction that was given from Joseph in the interpretation of that dream. And we see this evil this terrible action, this abusive action of Joseph's brothers, and we see God's redemptive purpose even through that. See both actions happening there. God intended one thing through that action, and the brothers intended something else. So much so that at the end of Joseph's life there, now maybe not the end of his life, but as he's standing there before his brothers, he tells them, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And we see that even still there even still through the life of Christ, where the Lord used providentially the actions of evil men, evil men in governing powers, evil actions of Herod and Pontius Pilate to raise Christ up, that Christ would be crushed, that Christ would take upon Himself the wrath of God, that you can be saved. That is, that is our hope that is there. So our hope is that good would flourish righteousness would thrive, but our hope ultimately is in God and what He will accomplish.
Christ is enough. Christ is sufficient. And then looking forward to the day when Christ will come and remembering that we are but sojourners, remembering that this world is not our home, that we are looking forward to the day when the Lord will bring forward the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth, where we will reside for all eternity. We're remembering what God will do, that this is not our home. This is not our hope. We're praying your kingdom come. We're praying that these worldly systems would fall, that God's reign would so crush them that they would not thrive. This world as a whole that is at enmity with God and is in opposition to the Lord. Leon Morris makes this point. He says, there is a sense in which it is realized here and now in the hearts and the lives of the people who subject themselves to God and accept His way for them. But in another sense, it will not come until God's will is perfectly done throughout the world. As we even see that in Matthew's rendition of the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is God's rule that will ultimately come forward. He is working now within the hearts of His people, but He will ultimately bring it to fruition. Christ is ruler over all. These are war terms. There is no ceasefire. There is no truce. Just as God has been shown sovereign over every pagan Egyptian god there in the Exodus, so the Lord will be shown to be sovereign over every false god. Ultimately, every knee will bow to Jesus. Philippians 2, 9-11, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that on the name of, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ will ultimately do that. His kingdom will come in such a way that all will bow down to the name of Jesus. Dear friends, you will bow down to the name of Jesus. So, dear friends, as Christians, we must we must put our lives in subjection to, to God, whether it be our finances, our relationships, our, our long-term plans, our, our trust. We must put these things in subjection to God that He would be working through us. One final quote from Philip Ryken, he says this. He says, we pray the same thing for our families, asking that our homes would be outposts of the kingdom, places where God's divine dominion is acknowledged in our household prayers, our mutual service, our ordinary routines of daily life. We pray this for our churches, asking God to conform our lives and relationships to the gospel. We pray this for our city, asking that it would become a community where strangers become neighbors, where the poor receive protection, the weak are defended, the business prospers, and the arts flourish for the glory of God. We pray this for our nation, asking that sacrifice would prevail over selfishness and greed. And we pray this for the world, asking that one, one day, very soon, Jesus would return and set everything right. Dear friend, do, do you desire such a rule in your life? Do you desire this kingdom rule of Christ Jesus? Dear friend, do you, do you look forward to the day when, when Christ will return? Or are you so entangled? Are you so tied up with the cares of this world that, that they're choking out your 
understanding of grace, that they're choking out your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Please see the perspective. The, 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 the poorest man in heaven is wealthier than the richest man of this world. Soon enough, time will pass. Only what is done for Christ will last. See what Christ has done, dear friend. See of the work that He has accomplished even to this point. See of the beauty of what He has done, that Christ has done what the greatest kings of the world could never have accomplished. Christ has done what the greatest philanthropist of the world could never have accomplished. Christ has done what some of the greatest philosophers could never have accomplished. Christ has made peace between God and man. Christ has begun to rule in the lives of His people. Christ kept the law in every way. He never broke it in every respect. He took upon Himself the fullness of God's wrath that whoever trusts in Him may be saved. See the fleetingness of this world. See the fleetingness of the cares of this world. See the hope that is there in Christ. If you know not Christ, turn to Him and be saved. Dear Christian, see the glory of Christ and the greatness of what He has done and what He continues to do. The beauty of what He gives to you each and every day. The blessing that you're given, even in this culture, to to walk about with the Scriptures and your language, to, to have stacks of these Scriptures lying around that was not so in the first century and the the blessing and grace that He's given to us here. See the greatness of Christ and what He has done. May that be our trust. May we be praying, Your kingdom come. May the Lord be removing our hands from the things of this world. May the Lord be releasing our heartstrings from that which is temporal and that which does not last. And may we be clinging to the cross of Christ. May we be saying, as we see in Revelation 22, 20, he who testifies the thing saying, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. May that be your hope. May that be your trust. May that be where your heart is resting and trusting.